Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Today is the first day of our practice period, our ongo, our peaceful abiding, the 13th at Houston Zen Center. It's our 13th. And there were a few years when we weren't quite ready to do ongo. So we've been here longer than 13 years, but We've done 13 of these yearly intensive practice periods. Our first Shuso was Kogan Glenn Duval. He's joining us on Zoom and he's in this practice period also. And there are a number of people here who've done a number of these practice periods. And there are people here who've been the head monk of previous practice periods. Trisha. Royce, Vicky, and our new one coming up is Maite. She'll be the head monk of this practice period. And did I miss anybody? Are there any other head monks in this or previous lifetimes? <laughs> hmm? Kiki, but she's not in here. Oh, yeah. Our cat is definitely the, a bad nun from a former time. <laughs> Again, we say practice period to refer to this time of collected practice together. And it, it, in the, to pronounce the characters, it's ongo, which means peaceful abiding, to abide together. And it has a uh, long history. So why do we do it? We have to know a little bit about the history in order to connect with how it is that we just keep doing this. When we have intensive practice, we do intensive practice. We make intentions and we follow through with them and make our best effort. Um, and still we do this thing called practice period. Part of it is comes from the, all of it comes from the time of Shakyamuni Buddha, absolutely all of it. And then it collects meanings. It has collected meanings over the, thousands of years, but it all comes from the early days in the rainy season. So this is a perfect day to start. I, during our Soji cleaning period, I walked from this temple over to the Hojo, and I thought, well, I'll put my umbrella up in case there are a couple of drips. And I walked by Mario and had my umbrella and the sun was shining. And then when I opened the door to come back, there was a deluge. They call this scattered showers, right? <laughs> scattered downpours. <laughs> so in the time of the historical Buddha, Shakyamuni, um, people didn't live together so much at the beginning. So this comes from when he started being a teacher. When he started being a teacher and gradually people started following him. He still traveled all the time. He was an itinerant monk, he'd left home, he'd left the palace, and left any kind of householding life. And he went all over northern India, circulating around. It was a beautiful climate back then. The climate has changed a bit. It's drier, but it was much more, apparently they say, it was much more um, pleasant to walk around and sleep wherever you slept, sleep in fields or take shelter. But then the rains would start. So 
heavy, heavy rains. And then he would actually stay in one place for those 90 days. They say it's become 90 days. And gradually people started asking if they could stay with him. And so this collection of people started happening. So every year they called this peaceful abiding. We will abide together in peace during this time. And we've been doing it. Buddhists have been doing that ever since. So in one way, this, that story sounds peaceful itself. It sounds like, oh, all these great Buddhist practitioners got together with Buddha and sat and he would give Dharma talks all the time. And people would bring food because back then you weren't actually allowed. They did not cook. They foregone cooking or gathering food. You just accepted what was in put in your bowl, and then it would be shared out among the community. That, those were the few rules that they had. You had to eat before noon, and you shared your food that you collected in your single bowl with everyone. And since it, so uh, pious people would support the Buddha and the Buddha's followers. Sounds wonderful. However, imagine what that was really like. Imagine that people who hadn't necessarily met each other, who didn't practice together regularly because they didn't have a temple, um, came together and figured out how to practice together. If we go back, if we think about those original practice periods, it's very similar to what we do, which is people from different experiences come together and figure out how to practice together. And in, even in the Buddhist time, one of the few things they kept track of in a very, very, very um, unhierarchical sangha, because the Buddha had seen through caste and the distinctions of caste, and dropped all of that. But the only thing they kept track of was the date of your having taken the precepts. So people would be recognized as a person who had received the precepts or taken refuge in the Buddha some number of years, some number of rainy seasons before. And other people would be recognized as this is their first rainy season retreat ever. And now they're receiving the precepts, they're newcomer. This person has done 10 years worth of rainy retreats, followed the Buddha for 10 years, this person too. So that was the only distinction that was made. And then different expectations of those people. So an expect, the expectations of newcomers to the practice were appropriate. They've never been here before. They don't know what it's like to share everything with a group of people. And people who'd been doing it for 10 rainy seasons or 20 rainy seasons, the Buddha taught for 40 years, 40 rainy seasons, different expert. And I will say something about Mahakashapa, one of the foremost of those practitioners a little later, but different expectations. The expectation would be they would help the others and they would provide a model for others. So that's the origin of practice period. And why did the Buddha do practice period? And why do we do practice period? 
Here we are, with Buddha nature fully present in each of us. One way of understanding intensifying your practice, and I know some of you haven't signed up for the practice period, so nevertheless, today you are in the practice period. <laughs> you are in the container. So this is aimed at you also, because you also come to a sangha and experience being together in practice, practice container. So over the many, 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 many years since Angola's been practiced, there are other ways to understand it, and there are other ways to understand practice. So one way to understand our zazen practice every morning is to do it like the Buddha. The Buddha just sits in reality just like that, aware of everything happening, present. That's the Buddha Zazen. You can also do Zazen because I need to release my stress. I need to find the areas of tension in my body-mind and welcome them and soften them. And then I will be a more compassionate person in the world. I'm going to do that right now. Okay, I'm thinking about dinner. Okay, back to being compassionate for others. <laughs> we all do that kind of zazen also. Got to think about, okay. Did I get so-and-so to arrange to pick up the this or that and so that it's in time? Back to being compassionate for others. Breathe into the spaciousness. We don't fight those thoughts. We welcome those thoughts and breathe. Buddha probably had some of those thoughts too. Like, got to talk to Mahakashapa about whether he's arranged a meeting with the other senior. <laughs> Back to the ocean of reality. Practice period can be done in order to deepen our practice and expand our understanding and learn how to be more compassionate to ourselves and others. That's another reason for doing practice period. Sometimes it's done because I think I need more discipline in my life. People use the word discipline in a way that implies that something has to change. I need to change this beautiful wandering mind I've got. Come on, discipline. So in practice period in the Buddhist time, there weren't rules like that. You didn't have a schedule. You just align yourself with the Buddha or with Mahakashapa or ooh, look how those senior practitioners are behaving around this. And if we, in that time, since we are enacting that ancient time, if we get a little um, agitated, maybe Mahakashapa would come over and say, and how are you feeling? Would you like to walk around the compound with me because it's raining outside? Or would you like to help me um, sweep? In fact, the work leader, would you be the work leader for the practice period? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Ancient times. <laughs> the, the person who was kind of in charge, maybe they found themselves in charge of cleaning up around the, the monk's sleeping areas. They might say, you seem agitated, would you come help me? These, this is ancient practice period, and 
for thousands of years, Buddhists everywhere arranged to do this thing. A few thousand years later, would it be a thousand years? Let's see, 1,900 years after the Buddha, a little bit more than that, um, the great teacher Dongshan, who was the founder of Soto Zen, basically, one of the ancestors of Soto Zen in China, also did Ango. And by then, it was something that was always started on the same day, always ends on the same day, always starts on April 15th, ends on August 15th, something like that, in a lunar calendar, approximately that. And he had a lot of things to say about it, but basically the reason you do Ango in China in Dungshan's time is because um, this is how we uh, connect with our tradition and completely honor our tradition. Because the Buddha did it, we'll be doing this forever. That was Dungshan's message to us. Then, some hundred years later, Dogen Zenji brought Soto Zen to Japan and brought this tradition of Ango. And before Dogen Zenji had been to China and then returned to Japan, they weren't doing this kind of practice period. They weren't doing Ango in this way. So it's kind of one of the hallmarks, especially of Zen. And Dogen Zenji said, Why do we do it? He said, when we come together in practice period by sitting zazen, you authentically receive the Dharma of summer. So we sit together in Ango, peaceful abiding, to receive the Dharma of summer. We sit together to elaborate on that, to receive the Dharma of the birds. We sit together to receive the Dharma of rain. Of course, we sit together to receive the Dharma of each other's presence, but we sit together to receive the Dharma of summer. So we will carry that with us throughout this practice period, receiving the Dharma of summer. He also said that we receive the authentic personal transmission of the Buddha face by sitting practice period. So every practice period that we sit, even here, Dogen said, the Buddha's face is right in front of us. So we receive the face. We receive Buddha's, Buddha ancestors' body and mind intimately and immediately. So does that mean that now that you've, without knowing it, some of you entered the practice period, <laughs> does that mean you can't leave? Well, in fact, it does mean you can't leave because when you move, the practice period moves with you. You take it with you. The boundaries of the practice period are the boundaries of your experience. They're the boundaries of this temple and the grounds and the land, but it's also the boundaries of where you go 
you take the practice period with you. So one of the reasons for sitting ango, for being an ango, one of the reasons for practicing together is to remember that the transformations that happen aren't confined to the place where you practice. The transformations that happen go out and transform the world. You carry this practice period with you. The boundaries as um, there's a great story about, um, oh, the story about Mahakashapa. I guess I will tell that now. And then I'm gonna tell you about the five ranks again. So in Buddha's time, probably it was easier to tell if somebody, you know, went outside, but the Buddha wasn't as strict as people think. So people did have family responsibilities that were honored by the Buddha. He thought people should honor their families. In one of the Vinaya stories, one of the, the rule books of Buddhism from the ancient times, a monk comes to Buddha. Can you imagine this monk? Buddha, um, uh, Reverend Zen Getsu keeps going into a certain house when they're, when they're on their alms rounds. Can you imagine going and telling on a fellow <laughs> monk to the Buddha? <laughs> but they were trying to learn how to behave. They're trying to learn what living an ethical life really meant. So the tattletale was trying to ask the Buddha, basically, um, what, how should I think about Reverend Zengetsu? That's Vicky. Mm -hmm. When she's out on her alms rounds, she goes inside this house and stays there for a while. And I've seen her go inside that house several times. And the Buddha said, well, who lives in that house? And the tattletale monk said, well, her family lives in that house. And Buddha said, well, of course, she should visit and pay honor to her family. End of story. Isn't that lovely? So home-leaving monks mean something different than leaving home responsibilities. There was something else I want to tell you about that. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, yeah. The first Lama Kishapa. Again, knowing that people... Um, have leave the practice period, leave the, the collective group and go somewhere else is part of what practice period is actually about. And it's definitely part of what our practice period is about because many people will be going off to their other responsibilities during the day and rejoining according to their schedule. So carrying the practice period with you. So Maha Kashapa who was, as I said, one of the most senior monks, one of the early uh, wanderers in India who joined the Buddha, historical person, really, really um, admirable and inspiring practitioner. There are a lot of stories about Mahashapa. Um, foremost among those who follow the precepts, foremost among those who developed the precepts, the guidelines for ethical behavior. So Mahashapa told on Manjushri Manjushri is the bodhisattva of wisdom. He's called the, the beautiful monk, He's foremost among wisdom. He's, his statue is in all zendos. He's in our outdoor zendo. And he'd been wandering around. <laughs> Mahakashapa, another tattletale, told the Buddha, 
Manjushri hasn't been here. He just came back and he's been practicing. At, he's been at other practice places. So I'm going to expel him. And he was going to hit the mallet, the switching that Reverend Yozan will hit later today. He's going to hit the gavel and expel Manjushri from the practice period because he hadn't been there all the time. And the Buddha said, wait a second, Mahakashapa, where has he been? And he's been in three different places. And all three of them, one was a gaming parlor, one was a house of prostitution, and one was something else, I can't remember. So that's where Manjushri was hanging out. Doesn't say what he was doing in any of those places. No doubt, spreading the Dharma. <laughs> and the Buddha said, so this is one of our, you know, Mahayana tales. And Buddha said, wait a minute, Mahakashapa. And he caused, the Buddha caused countless worlds to appear. And in each one of those worlds, Mahakashapa was standing at the gavel, Manjushri was standing nearby, and the practice period was around. And the Buddha said to the nearby Mahakashapa, which one are you going to expel? And Mahakashapa's mind was blown. So, it's a beautiful story, but the beauty of it is that the Buddha saw and understood how we actually carry practice period with us. Or we go and come back. And each place that you travel to will become your practice place and is where you manifest the practice period energy. It's hard to feel at the beginning, the longer, or I shouldn't say that. It may be hard to feel when you're in different places. So I have a story of this um, artist. Her name is Jean Quick to See Smith. So I can't remember the name of her, her native community. It's a tribe that I, I didn't know about, but John Quick to see Smith was a great painter. And someone asked her how she could go into um, white spaces, museums, and be the only person there. And she said, when I go into a room, the whole my whole community comes with me. So when you go into a room, your whole community comes with you. And awareness of that is part of the gift of practice. Natural awareness. My whole community comes with me. And also, when you go into a room, um, everyone sees your whole community coming with you. Your whole community is seen surrounding you. One of the things that happens when we're traveling in a traveling practice period like ours, a mobile practice period, we can uh, experience the five ranks. So the five ranks are another thing that great teacher Dong Shan really developed in China as they were doing their practice periods in China. The five ranks is one way of describing how we move in and out of um, Practice period, okay? Ready? Okay. The five ranks are a description of the relationship of the two realities. So there's a conventional reality, which most of us are pretty familiar with. Conventional reality, 
where there are different phenomena appearing. Person, bowing mat, tripod, ah, green tea. <laughs> and see, you have different attitudes about the objects. Another person, attitudes about persons, feelings, thoughts, phenomena, conventional reality. In practice, the first stages of practice are really to come to terms with how ephemeral all of those are and how um, flavored they are by our feelings and preferences. And then how we put labels on people and things, we decorate them with our concepts and we put sticky notes of decorations all over them. Of course, I were talking about this yesterday. And some people can be covered by our sticky notes of labels, but still between the edges of the sticky notes, the miraculous light is shining out that we can't cover. No matter how much you label everybody, their miraculous light comes out. No matter what they do, what they've done, there's this light coming through. That's conventional reality, though. We live in that world where we try to, I try to label everything, and I keep it distinct from myself. Ultimate reality is that shining force coming through from everything. It's the nature of reality. It's always there. And this phenomena is, all this phenomena is an expression of it. The Buddha, the Buddha way of seeing reality, ultimate reality. In practice period or an in intense practice or sashin, the first rank is when um, we call it the phenomenal within the universal, we say. That's when finally your awareness of this wonderful reality reveals itself to you. It's always there. And actually, at some level, everyone is awareness is always aware of it, but we cover it. So one of the stages of practice, the first rank is when that awareness just can't be ignored anymore. It's all so amazing. Nice to stay in the container of practice period, because then you kind of fall in love with everybody in practice period. You fall in love with the rules. You fall in love with the food and the incense, and the bells, it's all, even if the people spill food on your lap or something, oh, they're doing the best they can, I love them, oh, the dog has had an accident, oh, I love the dog, <laughs> phenomenal within the universal, first rank, it's beautiful, so stay in practice period and hold on to that as tightly as you can, one way. Second rank is the universal within the phenomenal. And that's where we go out and see, yes, the universal expresses itself in phenomena. How do I feel about that? Go back out to my workplace or my family. It's all expressing itself in unique things and birds and try to learn that this is all just not just, this is the expression of the universal. 
appearing in bits. We don't try to imprison it all into being just the way we want. Then you come back to practice period. The third is the phenomenal within the universal, which means boundless compassion. You see them moving all the time. You're able to see the universal within the particular all the time. This is where this is where the compassionate gazes of the Buddhas come from. They're seeing it all the time. And then the fourth rank is approaching total integration. I shouldn't say that that third rank is how the Buddhas see it. They actually, but let's say they do. <laughs> the fourth rank is approaching integration where it's really integrated. You can really, a, a consciousness can really move in that realm. And then the fifth rank is total integration. In the fourth rank, you just go out into the world, they say, with gift-bestowing hands, you work in the situation as it is, never forgetting that what you're doing is expressing compassion and that that's what everybody else is doing too. And then the fifth rank is total, total integration, and that's where the Buddhas hang out. For me, this is one way to think about um, how we're going to experience our practice period. We're going to take it with us wherever we go. We're surrounded by your community. This whole community enters every room with you and experience, am I, which of these five ranks am I mostly grounded in? And we will be studying, under our Shuso's guidance, the teachings of karma, which is also always with us, of course. We are our karma. And because of our great, great good karma, we've stumbled, some of us a long time ago, stumbled onto the Buddhist path. We've stumbled onto the path of Dharma, where we can hear teachings like this and be reminded that one of the most challenging mental seeds that we have to work with is that I alone have to figure this out. It's one of our most challenging mental seeds. I alone have to figure this out. When actually you're never alone, you're always surrounded by all these helpful bodhisattvas trying to help us out. So if practice period can um, remind us of our great karma, of being able to hear teachings like this, reminders of our real relationship to reality, reminders that each of us can go out and in many ways spread compassion in the world and awakening in the world and do our part. This is what practice period is for. So great, good karma. Congratulations on having such great karma. Thank you very much.